As you open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, we continue in our journey in the Word of God around the theme of follow me, the call to all who would choose to be place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are finding ourselves at another one of the Lord's parables, which I enjoy reading and, and uh, trying to understand and letting the Holy Spirit decipher for me. And, and there are some outlines going around that might help you. I hope they will in following along with, with the message this morning. I was thinking about an article in the uh, Journal of Business Ethics. It had a, a kind of a catchy title, jaw-dropping study, colon, executives who manipulate earnings are hired for their lack of ethics. As the title of that article alludes, it was about the business, quote, the business of evil. And it spoke of the prevailing presence of executives with, quote, dark personalities. Some companies purposefully hire people with unsavory personality traits when earnings, uh, when earning manipulations are in, in store. In other words, the company's in trouble. They need to somehow fudge the numbers. And there's actually a group of executives that have been, I guess, identified as being those with dark personalities. And when companies need to report earnings that stray from reality, they hire such executives with dark personalities to lead the company through this effort to survive, even if it involves shady, uh, illegal, and unethical practices. You know, as I heard him describe these executives with, quote, dark personalities, it almost caused visions in my mind of maybe a, a Darth Vader of Wall Street walking through the hallways of some of these corporations. And I thought, as I thought, as I read that article, and it was pretty fascinating, I thought how fitting it is to the depiction that the Lord has given of the majority of the world in which we find ourselves, the fallen world, the world that is under the shroud, of the darkness of sin. And we think about, you know, the moral decline in our society that has affected every segment of our modern society today. And, and, you know, as we examine the text today, we'll see how this parable that Jesus is teaching, he uses almost a dichotomy of contrast. In fact, I was reading one commentary pointed out that Luke, unlike the other gospel writers, tends to seize upon the Lord's use of contrast in making his point in some of the parables. And so it's interesting, as we'll, we'll see as we begin reading here in the text, that the audience, the, the target audience that Jesus is addressing is not the typical audience or the usual audience that we hear him aiming at. Typically, he's looking at the, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, sometimes the Sadducees. And so, but, but in this case, you'll notice that it's a different target group. And, and so, uh, so as we launch in on the first point that we're looking at in that uh, chapter 16, and we'll be looking down through verse 13, hopefully, in, in, in our time together this morning. First of all, I want us to look at what uh, I've simply said was life as usual in an unscrupulous world. And you can think about 
the country in which we live. You can think about the majority of the world in which we live. It's life as usual in an unscrupulous world. We, we have no idea of the extent of the truth of that as it, as it is applied to modern day 21st century, not just America, but other parts of the world as well. And I know that that article that I was just making reference to spoke about business leaders, but you know, I believe that cunning, dark personalities have infiltrated the arenas of, of education, certainly of government, uh, of entertainment, and in some cases, even organized religion. So there you go. It's not just limited to, to the business world. That's the influence of the penetrating effect of sin. And so you'll see two different groups that Jesus is speaking about and making contrast there because in, in chapter 16, Jesus speaks of two groups. He talks about the sons of the world. That would be those who are fallen, who are spiritually blind, who have no place in their lives for God and for the things of God. And then later we'll see where the Lord makes reference to the sons of light, speaking of Christians. And so as we talk about the, the unscrupulous world in which we live, it's not a modern day phenomenon. It existed in Jesus's time. Folks, it's existed since Genesis chapter three. Yet it continues to follow its trend down through the history of mankind. So as we, as we talk about the unscrupulous world and Jesus is helping us to see the characteristics of this, this society, he talked about three groups in the, uh, of people, three personalities that we'll look at in helping to understand that. First, he looks at what I call the shrewd manager or actually the mismanager, the, the steward, if you will. Look in chapter 16 and let's begin reading together in verse one. And he also said to his disciples, there's the target group. Jesus is not talking directly to the Pharisees the scribes, the Sadducees. He's not addressing the multitude. He's almost like saying, boys, to the disciples, pull, pull your chairs up a little closer. Come on, come on up here, get a little closer. And so he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man, and we'll talk about this master, the rich man, who had a steward. And you understand when, when the scripture refers to a steward, it's someone that is entrusted with the possessions of another to manage that and to oversee it for another person. So he had a, he had a steward and an accusation was, was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And so he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward in modern nomenclature you're fired. Then the steward said within himself, that's important. He didn't say it to his boss man. But he says, he's talking to himself. What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship, which is my livelihood, away from me. I cannot dig. In other words, I'm, I'm not suited for manual labor, heaven forbid. And I am ashamed to beg. I mean, you know, I'm used to being around, you know, Good society. What, what would it look like if I'm out there on the streets begging? Look at verse four. I have resolved. He's a quick thinker. Don't you wish you could work, come up with a solution that fast? I have resolved what to do. 
that when I am put out of the stewardship, that may receive me into their houses. Okay. In other words, I've got a plan. I'll be taken care of. I'll work out a solution to this situation where I won't have to worry. So look what he does in verse five. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Not how much do you owe me, but how much do you owe my master? And the first one said, oh, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly. In other words, I got to move on this. I got to get around to everybody. I don't have much time. Sit down and write on it 50. In other words, I'm giving you a 50% discount. So he's letting them do the dirty work. They're they're fudging the, the bill, but he's giving them authority to do that. Then he said to another, and and how much do you owe? So he said, oh, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. I'll give you a 20% discount. So there you go. So he's having to fudge the bill. So as as we look at that, let's just stop there. You know, the things I want you to see about this, this shrewd manager, this, this unscrupulous steward, if you will, there's some similarities between him and the parable we just looked at in chapter 15, the par- the most popular of Jesus's parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Because if you were to glance back over the next page of chapter 15, at verse 13, you know that when the the younger son had the audacity to demand of his father that he would give him his part of the inheritance. And his father graciously did that. Uh, do you remember what that young man did? He went and invested it wisely and, and, and got tenfold back in, in returns. No, he liquidated it. It says there in chapter 15, verse 13, and not many days after, after the father had given him his portion, the younger son gathered all together, in other words, liquidated it. He journeyed to a far country, get away as far as he can, and there wasted, don't lose that, wasted his possessions with prodigal living, with wasteful living. Now we come back to our shrewd manager and the accusation that is brought against him there in uh Chapter 16, in verse 1, it says that, uh, and an accusation was brought to him, to the master, that this man was wasting his goods. So just like the the prodigal son, this shrewd manager was being fired. He was fired because, or being fired, because he was wasting his master's stuff he's probably going on extravagant trips dressing in clothes that he had no business to dress in entertaining people with the you know the the proceeds from the profits of his his master oh he's living a good life cutting into the profit of his manager and so now that he is fired he's losing his way of livelihood as shady as it was as unethical as it was he he was he he came up with a plan. Unlike the prodigal son, his shrewdness and don't leave, lose sight of that. His his shrewdness averted for him disaster. In contrast, 
the wastefulness of the prodigal son ended him up in a pig pen, debating about eating the slop of the pigs. Not for this, not for this manager. Oh no. Oh no. He, he oh yeah, he was guilty of being wasteful. <laughs> and there's no sign of remorse. The fact is, he just simply said, I've got to have a plan. So in quickly developing a, a plan, he he went about devising a way whereby other people would be indebted to him. He says, I just need to make sure I've got some income guarantee me that I don't have to go out and do manual labor and heaven forbid that I would get out there and beg. And so you have to acknowledge this is a quick thinking, slick minded dude. Jesus is simply saying that's the way it is in the unscrupulous world around you. There are all kinds of people living in the darkness of sin. And you know, just because they live in sin doesn't mean that they all have have it bad. Do you know any people that you pretty much are sure that they're not Christians, they're not followers of Christ, and yet they're living pretty good. They're using the resources around them and they're getting, you know, a good living. They're driving nice cars, living in big houses. I mean, just because a person is not a Christian doesn't guarantee them that they're going to live in the gutter. And now this man, without his job, finds himself devising a plan. And so that's the first unscrupulous character that is typical of the, of the world that Jesus is describing to his disciples. We want to move on, though. The next group are, are those who are the greedy and the dishonest accomplices. The manager is not the only person that's wrong here. He's not the only shady character in the, in the whole process, in the whole deal. Because if you go back and you see as he approaches the, the debtors, as, as, as we see them depicted here, he called one and said, how much do you owe? And, you know, gave him. So he's given discounts to all of these people. He's given them savings. And, and they're thinking, wow, this is better than going on the Price is Right. Well, no, they didn't have the Price is Right back then. But, but this this. This shrewd manager is going around and he's working these un unbelievable deals with these, these other people and they're participating. You can't tell me. They didn't think in the back of their mind, wait a minute. We don't care. We know the master. We know this man's boss, man. He's, he's never cut deals. He, if anything, he's always overcharged us. He came up with ridiculous taxes to make his profit even higher. But there was no debate. There was no rationale. There's no, no saying, wait a minute. They quickly jumped on the offer of this shady deal that was just too good to turn down. And so their ready participation in this underhanded deal says something about their own character. And so as we look at verse four, you know, the the um, the the manager, the the steward, he gives us a glimpse into the, the motive behind his 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 scheme. He says in verse four, I have resolved what to do, that when I am out of the stewardship, they they being the the the, the people that are in debt, the debtors, they they will be obligated to me. And they would be. 
in that culture and, and, and even today, people do big deals for one another. It's oftentimes their strings attached. Hey, buddy, I'll let you have the inside scoop on the next bid our company is going to have for a product. And, and of course, if you if you if I give you that inside scoop and, and you get the upper uh, hand on the deal and, and, and our company launches the deal to you and you get all the big money, then don't forget. You owe me. You owe me. I'll be back around. And collect. So, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. Even in the business world, as Jesus was pointing out. But isn't it ironical that these, these greedy, dishonest accomplices, they went along with him. I mean, my goodness, I got a 50% break. I got I got 20% off. You know, they're saying, hot dog, sure, I'll, I'll take that anytime. But isn't it ironic that there they were participating in a deal that would get them out from being indebted to the master and yet ultimately they would be indebted to the mismanager the shrewd accomplice in this this shady deal but then let's not forget the boss i i was i don't know how many of you i know tim and laurie were coming along and maybe middle school they like to watch a program called the dukes of hazard and uh, I still see visions of that car, and they never used the door or not. They never opened the doors, Duke boys. They always jumped through the window. I would recommend, recommend doing it. But, but anyway, the character I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about the boss, of course, you know, you, you, you can see him right now. He's shorter than me. White suit, white hat, boss hog. Yeah, he was, he was a shady character. He was rich. Got his money probably dishonestly, always, you know, but, but yeah. So, so we think about the, the worldly and equally dishonest master. So we, we, we see that he's got a, he's got a part to play in, in this too. Now his stern reprimand was not based on morality. He wasn't, he wasn't chastising his manager, his steward, because of the ethics like you, you were wasteful. You should have been more responsible and da-da-da-da. No, he just simply said, you wasted my money. You cut into my profit. He wasn't concerned about the ethics of it. He was greedy. He was materialistic. He was, he was worldly, just like the other two groups that we see, the, 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 the steward and the accomplices. He wasn't bothered by the morality of the deal. He was deal. He was really upset by the money in the deal. And so, as we as we follow, I want you to look now as we go on down, and uh, I'm catching my place up here, y'all. So, verse eight. This is the response. Um, once he finds out, the word came back to him. You, you know that steward of yours that you fired who had wasted your money? Do you know what that rascal has been doing from the day you fired him? He threw a big garden party and invited everybody that owed you money. And as they were enjoying the, the, the event, he's uh, uh, 
add a little bit to it, but he says he's going around with the account book. He made deals with every last one of your debtors, giving them phenomenal discounts, and they all jumped on it. He's like a fat cat now. Now, how would you respond? You were the executive of this corporation, and you found out that one of your junior executives was doing this. Look at the manager's response. So the manager commended. What? Is there a typo in the Bible? The manager commended the unjust steward, crooked, unethical, shady steward. He commended him because he had dealt shrewdly. He's a man. Why? Because that's what the master has been doing. How do you think he got filthy rich? His, he, who do you think taught him the tactics of, of fudging the numbers and working people and, and getting you know shady deals across? He's thinking, yeah, yeah, you're still fired. But, you know, I have to give it to you. You pulled off a slick one here, boy. You might have your own corporation one day. So you see, you can almost sense from that the ethical makeup of this man. And so his, his commendation there. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 8. And he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in, the, in their generation than the sons of light. Now we got the dichotomy. Now we have the contrast. Jesus is saying to his disciples, who, by the way, according to the descriptions that we find in the scriptures, oftentimes applied to, to God's people being sons of light or children of light. He's saying that the sons of the world, the lost, those who are who are children of the devil, those who follow, you know, march to the drumbeat of, of evil and, and dishonesty and 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 uh, unethical practices. He says they're more shrewd than the sons of the light, of light. He says, boys, y'all need to learn something. He's not telling them they need to imitate the practices of, but he's saying to them, you need to be on your toes in being as, as fruitful and productive as those who are working on the side of darkness. So Jesus introduces that contrast inside now as he's switching from those who practice, you know, unethical and immoral uh, uh, practices and, 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 and as opposed to those who are children of God, children of light, sons of light. And so we switch now from looking at the life in the unscrupulous world to life as portrayed in the kingdom of God, beginning there in verse 8, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, for the sons of this world, there in verse 8, are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. There's something that you can learn in the diligence of those who are without God. And so let's first of all look at kingdom citizens, disciples who practice kingdom stewardship. What is there for us to see? And, and as we prepare to, to launch in there, I, I think about, you know, the, 
the call of Christ upon the lives of followers, of, on the lives of disciples. It's implied in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, whose life is in me, and I am in them. He who abides in me and I in them, the same brings forth much fruit. Every child of God has the capacity, the God-given Christ-indwelling capacity to bear fruit for the Lord, for God. Is that important? Sure. If you go further in John 15 and look at verse 8, Jesus says, And herein is my Father glorified, that you, followers, sons of light, that you bear much fruit. We are to be productive. We are to be good stewards of every resource and opportunity that God gives to us. Kingdom citizens practice kingdom stewardship. And the Lord directs us to invest temporal resources that he's made available to us to produce eternal fruit. The evil, sinful people aren't the only ones out there, ladies and gentlemen, who have access to the things that God has provided. The resources and our godly stewardship results in eternally grateful believers as we invest our, our resources, the things that are ours, that we have available to us as we invest our lives. Look what he says there in verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. In other words, the things... You know, Things of this world, money, material possessions, you could go on, entertainment, all the things that, that the world clamors for. You know, all of that is, is considered to be unrighteous mammon. But it's ours. It's yours. Your money, your resources, your time, your energy, your strength, your, your, your talents, they're yours. And he's saying, Use those things that are of this world. Why are, you, why are you in this world? Guess what? You're not taking those things with you. You're not taking your money. You're not taking your possessions. You're not taking your, you know, your real estate. You're not taking your retirement plan and, and, and savings. That's not going with you to heaven. So while you're here, Jesus is saying, use those unrighteous things of considered to be mammon, but don't just use it on yourself. Invest it. So, he says, that they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Who is they? The people that you invest in. The things that you invest in other people that result in people coming to salvation. When you are a good steward and a faithful steward and you use the resources that God uses, gives you, makes available to you, and you're not just wasting it on yourself. But you look for ways to invest it in kingdom causes. Then out of that comes believers. People who know Jesus Christ. Who will greet you one day and, and say thank you. Thank you. Have you ever heard that Ray Bolt song that came out maybe a, few, a couple of decades ago? And they basically said there will be people in heaven that will greet you. That you were responsible directly or indirectly in helping to come to Christ. And they will be the ones that will welcome you into everlasting life if they go ahead of you. And they will say, thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. 
Thank you for giving up your money. Thank you for giving up your time. So Jesus said, look, don't let the sons of the world be the only ones who have profits from their use of the things of mammon. You use what God has given to you, made available to you, that might bear forth fruit and have permanent treasures waiting for you in heaven. Now think about, if you want to hold your place there in Luke chapter 16, very quickly, just go back and look at a familiar passage in Matthew's gospel, chapter uh, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. You've heard it. You know it by heart, some of you. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in to steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yes. So the treasures that Jesus is talking about here are the treasures of people's eternal lives that God used you as you use the resources that God has made available to you to help people to come to into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You, you recall the parable of the talents. And, and you remember how Jesus talked about the, the man that went away and left uh, his, his servants in charge and, and, and one that got five talents. He invested it, in, in, you know, for the Lord, for the master. And he came and the master came back. He had five that the master had given him plus five. He doubled his proceeds. The one that had given the master given two talents. What did he do? He invested it and had two more talents. And to those faithful servants, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what awaits Christians who are wise in using the resources that God gives to us as faithful stewards, investing our talents, our time and our money into the lives of other people. And that, ta that, pa that passage on the parable of the talents is in Matthew chapter 25. You can go back and read that. As you think about what Jesus was saying about using our talents and using our abilities and not, not saving up things for, not seeking for treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven, then look what Jesus is saying. In, in this passage, he's telling us your faithfulness in investing the temporal things of this life may determine the level of responsibility and blessings that God will award to you in heaven. He says, if you are faithful with that which is a little bit, at least, he says, you will be faithful with that which is much. And folks, what we have on this earth is small compared to the blessings that await us in heaven. If you're faithful with what God has entrusted to you, you say, well, I'm not a wealthy millionaire. I don't have a company. I don't have a lot of money. Well, folks, listen. Take what God has given you. Pray over it and invest it in those things that will make an eternal difference. Not the difference in Wall Street. Because God says, if you are faithful in utilizing that 
which I have entrusted to you on this side of eternity. He says, then I am confident I can trust you with a whole lot more in heaven. The level of your responsibility that God will give you when you serve him there. Folks, that's what heaven's going to be about. It's going to be about eternally serving God, sovereign, creator of all creation. And you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So the question that you want to ask yourself, and I ask myself, am I being a faithful steward who pleases the Lord? Am I being a faithful kingdom citizen, practicing kingdom stewardship right here? And one more thing that I think you we see in this, this parable as Jesus is teaching in chapter 16. Well, let's go back because I just want to touch, touch on the passage we taught. Look back in, in chapter 16 and verse 10. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's the things of this world, if you squandered them on yourself, you blown them on things of pleasure and temporal, you know, satisfaction, he says, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you don't even invest yourself in the things of that, that God has given to you on this side of eternity, how are you going to expect to show up in heaven and God award to you great responsibility and wonderful blessings? You get what you earn. Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? you've not been faithful with what you get through others and yet how can God trust us now we look at verse 13 and the last point we'll look at kingdom citizens reject worldly idolatry and serve only God look at verse 13 with me there for the Lord says no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The sons of the world, those who don't know Jesus Christ, those who are caught up in the materialistic things of this world and they, they measure you know, life by you know, what you can get on this go round saying, you know, eat, drink and be merry, you know, because this is all we get. Then they serve mammon. They serve the ungodly things. And, and, the, and so we as Christians, we have to determine who is our master. In contrast to the unscrupulous idolaters of the world, Christ's disciples guard our hearts against all forms of idolatry. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a pudgy little figure, man figures with squatting with this, you know, sitting Indian style on the floor. It doesn't have to be an animal, a picture of an animal or, or some, some carbon or something. No, listen, idolatry are things. It could be money. It could be careers. It could be leisure. It could be relationships, material possessions and popularity. All you have to do is honestly ask yourself this. 
Is there any one or anything more important to me than God? Is there anyone or is there anything that means more to me than God? Then you have just identified your idol. And God's people, children of light, reject anything that comes close to rivaling their devotion to and service to God. You know, it's impossible for slaves to serve two masters. And Jesus is teaching in a culture where there were slaves. And, and, and slaves were owned by their master. It wasn't like they were employee and they could quit and go to another. They, they were the property of that master. They served no other master unless the master sold them to somebody else. It was one master at a time. And that's what Jesus is saying. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. And you cannot follow the Lord and chase after worldly mammon. You just can't. It's impossible. You know, it's been a long time since I've gone to the circus. In fact, there is no circus anymore. I'm sorry, kids. We really blew it for y'all. But one of the things that always fascinated me, because I grew up around horses, was the dainty, pretty lady that would come out and have two big you know, white stallions, and, and, and she'd get those stallions trotting around the circus ring. Yeah, you know? And then she would jump up on one of the horses, and they'd trot around the ring. Then she would straddle, have one foot on one horse, and the other on the other horse, and, and going around that circle. And I, I thought, man, we never would have done that on the farm. And it was fantastic. But you know what she never did? She never pulled that stunt with the horses going in opposite directions. That's how impossible it would be to try to serve God and serve mammon because mammon is going in one way that leads towards sin and depravity. God is going in the direction of righteousness. And every person has to choose for themselves, the kingdoms of the of, of, of the kingdom citizens have to decide who will we bow down to, and we readily humble ourselves as slaves to one master, Jesus Christ. I close with a quote that I saw John Calvin, 16th century theologian and pastor, teacher, and reformer. He says, "Where riches hold the dominion of the heart." God has lost his authority. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. I close with this question. Who or what holds dominion of your heart today? Does your life characterize the life of a son or daughter of light, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Are you anywhere close to being as diligent and skillful in using the things that God has afforded to you in this world to bring forth fruit for his glory as those who are sons of the world are shrewdly, deceptively, and yet successfully 
patting their pockets all along the way. Jesus is challenging his disciples. You determine to be as productive as that crowd, but for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teachings of your holy word. They're timeless. They're always applicable, no matter the time period. Lord, because the sons of the world have always been here since the fall. And since you, Lord, reached out to sinful man and, and extended your grace to us by sending your precious son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be our sinner, our savior, to save us lost sinners from the penalty of our sins. Lord, those who were wretched sinners, who were dead in their trespasses and sin, have found themselves saved, gloriously, wonderfully saved, and adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of light. Lord, it's great to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, but Lord, we want to be good, faithful citizens. And I pray that the way that we invest those things that you've entrusted to us on this side of eternity, not for ourselves, not for our prominence or popularity, Lord, but for your glory. It will be reflected, Lord. I pray that for each and every one of us. Lord, I ask that you move in the heart of anyone here today who has yet to come to place in their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we understand you told us through Jesus that, that Lord, no one comes to Christ except the Father draws them. Our prayer today, Lord, is there will be people that we have in our worship setting and that we encounter as we go out from this church who you are actually right now drawing to Christ. May we, Lord, be used as instruments of encouragement and inspiration and instruction to those that they might enjoy what we enjoy as kingdom citizens. And so we pray your blessings upon each person here today and upon our church. And Lord, as we prepare to go into this, this uh, conference, Lord, we pray for your presence and ask it for your leadership. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we move towards the church conference, I'm going to ask you all to stand. You need to stretch your legs. We won't be long in the conference, but still, you need that opportunity. And uh, if, if there are guests that are here today and you don't want to sit through the conference, you'll we would politely excuse you at this time. And if anybody needs to run to the restroom, uh, that's understandable too and permissible. So let's give ourselves just a break, um, just a couple of minutes, and then we'll reconvene back in here, right? You can stay here or you can take care of things.